You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 18. Champions, arise! The Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 18. I'm Rebecca, and with me is Will Will, who speaks for the whole Goblin Clan when he says, I have three hit points. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate bumming everybody out, but happy Halloween today when we're recording this. We're doing a Halloween theme today to ease the transition from Halloween to non-Halloween. Yeah, our normal state of being is thinking about Halloween and being Halloween people even when it's not Halloween. Yes, and again... Like bears hibernating. We're still bears, we're just... Yeah, just, just, it's less, so... Our powers aren't full right now. Right, yeah, my powers are going to be like peak here in a few hours. We had a full moon, a blue moon also... Oh, okay. Which is two full moons in one month, so that's... Which is when Andy Williams gets all his powers. Yeah, that's when, that's, <laughs> that's when, also, I think the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. <laughs> that's right. That's also going to have to happen tonight. It is foretold <laughs> in legend, but I'm very excited about that, and... Oh, you know what else happens tonight oh. is we get an hour back through farmer magic. Yeah, that is magic. I mean, I hate the whole deal, but like at least yeah, this it's is a, so stupid. But this, this is, is the one, one we like. This is a good one, yeah, and it means you get an extra hour of Halloween, which I also like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty happy we get it too because uh, we have been really busy. You'll probably see us annoying you on social media a whole bunch. Uh, one one reason I know we've been busy is Rebecca was telling me she's been able to mark the passage of time because her toe polish is gone. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say will that if i was thinking of small talk for this topic which is trolls and goblins we'll get to in a second i was thinking like how are all the different ways where i feel like i might be under a troll curse or be a troll myself yeah and you just came up with one that i didn't even come up with <laughs> when you were saying it i was like i was like she she's a troll <laughs> so I love, what will I is referring to and this is super flattering to me and i really <laughs> love telling this story is the other day I was saying like, you know what? I I really need to take some like lady pampering time because in the olden days when I would go to the gym, which I don't anymore because aerosolized particles, mm-hmm. it nasty, don't do it. Okay, in the olden days when I went to the gym, I used to go to bar and Pilates. So I would go to these classes twice a week where I'd have to exercise barefoot and I never wanted to scandalize Debbie in my class. And Your so Jim friend. Yes, Debbie. And so I can't do Everybody that. knows Debbie. Everybody does know <laughs> Debbie. Debbie's very popular, okay? Anyway, do you know Debbie? She's very she's very cool. Anyway, so I'd always have to have my toenails like perfectly polished. Like I'd have to have like, you know, you got to keep your feet looking okay cuz you mm-hmm. don't want Debbie to see your bare feet in bar class and be like, "What is going on mm-hmm. there?" Okay, but now it's been so long since I've done like a proper pedicure that I've just been cutting my toenails and letting the polish grow off. 
and it's all gone. You now. have grown enough toenail that the polished part is gone. Yeah, the toenail's gone too. Can I just clarify? Okay, I'm not walking around with talons. They're cl- clicking on the hardwood floor like the dog. No, no. <laughs> Her powers are in full now. We told you. I've just been busy. No, that's true. You are very good about your toenail regimen. So this is very unusual. It shows how busy we've been. I know, and also it shows just what an unusual year this is. Yes, been. that's true. Because again, this is something I've done religiously. Yeah. To make sure, like every every two two classes a week for yeah. like five years, I, I went faithfully. But then, without Debbie to look yeah. and see if my toenails are okay, I, I couldn't paint them anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, I let you down, Debbie. Hopefully, your troll curse is almost over. I don't know. It's gonna keep going. My other thing that makes me think that I have troll curse is I hulk out of clothes. Yeah, a lot, mm-hmm. like more than makes sense. That's like, why I won't let you borrow my t-shirts. I'm real hard on them. I don't know. They just rip. They, I just, I don't know, I don't know how. It's not like I'm constantly gaining weight. Not like that. That could happen. That could be an explanation. No. But I've seen how I've seen how you treat them. You get angry with your sleeves. Like I won't let you borrow my long sleeve things because because I gotta get... wrap them up real tight and shove them up my arms because I get so mad when yeah. they touch my hands. Like when you have to wash dishes, I'll see when there's like a Popeye or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All my long sleeve shirts go up to the elbow. Yeah. I like to get them good and ripped. We should share a picture of uh the hoodie that uh you have um my tattered, broken in. My tattered troll hoodie. I yeah, your get, werewolf hoodie. Yeah. I can't get rid of it. I love it. <laughs> and then finally, I do think that I have troll curse because I am very secretive and I won't volunteer any information about mm, myself. True. But if you ask me something, I will say anything in response to a question. And I think that that is a troll curse because mm-hmm. I won't tell you anything. <laughs> but if you ask, it's fair game. You just ask about my toe talons, about my toe polish. I don't gone. need to know. No, I don't think anyone <laughs> did need to know that. we talking about today on today's show now that i've been thoroughly embarrassed and and given up my kin (laughs) we are counting down our personal favorite takes on the trolls archetype and the goblin archetype i have four rebecca has four it's a top eight all right so first of all let's get this out of the way why are we lumping trolls and goblins together well like you said we did want like a transition creature from halloween to uh normal monster time and in my mind, I think it made sense to lump these together because these are like, for lack of a better way to explain it, real monsters. Like, they're grounded. They're like the flora. I mean, they're like the fauna of a fantasy world to me. So, that you know what I mean? They're like less fan... Yeah, they're fa- kind of like almost just dudes. Yeah. Yeah, they are just the naturally occurring, evolved creatures in a fantasy world. So, it makes sense. They're like, we're just in normal times where monsters just exist in the world for no magical reason. They're human-like beings, but they're not human. Yeah. And they can have, like, I I always think it's weird when they have goblin shamans and stuff like that. Like, yeah. they can have magic associated with them, but no, they're not by default magic. That's right. Know? In my opinion. Well, that's why I'm saying they're, like, very uh, basic part-of-the-world type creatures. Yes. And I guess we just like to put them together because, I don't know, they just kind of go together, like... Shubop, shubada, shubadubadibop. <laughs> well, sometimes we'll say that. Sometimes we'll say uh, we separate things uh, based on what they represent, and I, I think these creatures probably represent very similar things, as as we'll get into. Okay. Do we got any troll history? Do you, I, I got some, or do you have any good troll history? Yes. Yes. We'll we'll see if we consulted the same prestigious internet sources. 
I think the primary thing I wanted to say about trolls is that they seem to represent destructive instincts or the worst of people, and they're often exacting tolls or menacing travelers. Uh, I think I think okay. I think yeah. we can assume this comes from Scandinavian folktale roots, like Billy Goat's Gruff. Yes. And um, you know, you think of them under bridges; they're often very large. You may confuse them with giants. And they may be a holdover from regional memories of Neanderthals. That's what I read too, which is fascinating. Yeah, and I that like makes that. so much sense. They look too. like them a lot. In a lot of the Scandinavian folklore, this is actually interesting because um, this is one of the cases where it does kind of come from one region. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the character archetypes that we've talked about on this show come from basically everywhere in some form, which is not to say that there aren't goblins and trolls of some type in Eastern culture. Yeah. But this is very much like a Scandinavian and Norse mythology kind of deal. And um, a lot of the times in those stories, like trolls were mostly just kind of like large standoffish, uh-huh. you know, people who looked very similar to people and they were maybe dangerous to people, but like, you know, they weren't. And you can imagine how in oral tradition things just get uh, exaggerated by storytelling purposes. You know, you have to exaggerate how big they were to impress upon the people listening. I mean, like, I I know this is something that, like, maybe now we all know and kind of think about in recent years. But it is crazy and mind-blowing, if this is not something you've heard, that um, we have evidence over the past, like, five or six years of how long humans and Neanderthals coexisted Mm -hmm. and so this is like we're talking like 50,000 years ago like troll stories have been around (laughs) for a long time and and we also have some evidence that there is Neanderthal DNA in modern humans yes you might have some go do one of those tests didn't we learn that Ozzy Osbourne has some oh probably and then also I will I will mention uh, it's also the cool thing to do now is to call them Neanderthals because that's how they say it in the region but you know what Popular mispronunciation is more correct than the correct pronunciation because that is obnoxious and I am not going to do that. I agree. Just like, I don't care what the inventor of the GIF said. It's not called a GIF. Right. It's not called a GIF. It's a GIF. And it's not Frankenstein's monster. It is Frankenstein. I'm just going to call him Frankenstein. That's right. We know who you're talking about. Yeah, we don't care about the science. We care don't about the man put... in the cereal box. Exactly. He earned the name. I'm talking to the man in the cereal box. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so that's trolls. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goblins, on the other hand, are a little more recent because we can sort of trace them back to Middle Ages folklore mm-hmm. um, in many of the same areas, but then also sort of Central Europe and, and English mytho- mythology and folklore. So goblins were more like magical little creatures who'd like to steal from humans and just want to bedevil humans in one way or the other. And then that got sort of codified into tol- the work, you know, Tolkien's works later uh-huh. and then much later Dungeons and Dragons and that's how we got them we uh you're bringing up several things that I wanted to hit on in some of these picks I was going to say one of the one of the things that stood out to me is trolls seem to be tied to something very earthy like tied to the land and they yeah. seem more real and goblins seem to be more magic like and more fairy like and they're more like mischievous magical creatures yeah they're more like fae so yeah. they're, they're sort of both uh, d- uh Different sides of the same coin to me. I like that. That is very true. And yes, trolls are very earthly, earthy. It's like kind of like the uh, it's a civilization and wild dichotomy kind of thing. <laughs> because in a lot of the old Scandinavian folk tales, it would be that the trolls were driven out by the sound of church bells, right? Because uh-huh. the sound of a Christian man, or they could smell yeah. the blood of a Christian man, which 
at the time symbolized uh, progress and civilization. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to laugh. Um, and, and 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 thus trolls were meant to sort of evoke like the wild, the wild side like pagan, of humanity, like yeah. pagan stuff. Yeah. Uh, which we're all, is we're all lapsed pagans, but yes. Why? Which is why um, was uh, I feel like I was reading this somewhere um, in Spencer's uh, uh, the Fairy Queen or whatever. Did, uh, Arthur, who represents Christianity, didn't he defeat a troll? I think. Oh yeah, probably. So, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. That's we need thing. to read all that. That's a thing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll do that. Okay. Well, I got one test case for you. Okay. Because somebody on the internet said it was. Are the Ferengi goblins? Huh. I think there's a good argument for that because they are mischievous and they have a lot of the same physical attributes like the yellow pointy teeth. Um, There's not a lot of baby stealing. They do like trinkets and baubles and things like that. I I think the new thing to do, modern, the modern thing to do with goblins is to make them like a mercantile race. Uh So that's sort of like... Okay. If you want to make the argument that they are space goblins, some people have said that. Okay. I think that's probably a good segue into some picks because I think one of the things we'll see is coming out of the Dungeons and Dragons history of that character type. You're starting to see people treat these character types as real characters and real people. And so you start to see things like that. Like the Ferengi are a good example. Their first appearance was horrendous. Mm -hmm. And then they ended up being some of the best part of Star Trek by Deep Space Nine. Come to Gorks. Gorks is fun. Come right now. Go Gorks. Run! <laughs> oh, I love the part where my name rotates around. Um, would you like to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. All right. This here trolls a real booger face. Know what I mean, Vern? <laughs> Uh-oh. My pick is Trantor, the demonic troll from the 1991 masterpiece... Ernest, scared, stupid. I do know what you mean, Vern, and I have such a soft spot in my heart for Jim Varney. Seriously. Well, yes, this, of course, was a vehicle movie for the Ernest character, played by actor and comedian Jim Varney. But he can only be awakened on the night before Halloween. Like tonight. When a whorl. Like you. Places his hand on a tree like this, and says, Yea, I call thee forth, Trantor. But what are the chances of that happening? When I started looking at this, I was pretty sure we could do a whole episode or a whole show on Ernest P. Worrell, and people right in our demographic probably know exactly what this is and are very excited, but I was thinking someone who is even slightly younger or not from America. I'm trying to think of how to describe him. It is very hard to, to describe the experience of Ernest P. Worrell. Or, uh, yeah, and, and what he was like in, in culture. Um, I, I have some information about where he comes from and how I would describe him, but can I put you on the spot? And just, if somebody said, like, what is Ernest if they were, like, two years younger than you or from another country, what would you say? <laughs> I would say... It is a character who is folksy in a performative way. Oh, right. Okay. And he's humorous in that half of the appeal of his character is in narrating to an invisible audience. Perfect, yes. Like you're in the room with him <laughs> in, a, in a folksy way. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a folksy 
hillbilly kind of way, Mm -hmm. I guess. And it's someone who is a lot smarter than the character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In fact, the uh, ad agency who created him, they were saying that Jim Varney had a photographic memory and he was just incredible at his lines. Like, you could hire this ad agency and hire the uh, Ernest character for your product when his career was first starting. And they said he would blow through like 20 versions of the same commercial, just inserting different products just like that. That's amazing. His voice is so good too. It's really, oh, he really did. He had, he had an amazing comedic voice, a really deep resonant baritone. Um, and then I guess I, I would also say that it, he does play on the comic fool trope in that yeah. he's acting like a yokel, like a really silly ignorant person but in so doing he's pointing out the foibles of the status quo the people mm-hmm. around him mm-hmm. so yeah i was gonna say on the surface he's sort of like a again if you don't know who this is an easy way to sort of get your feet wet is he's like a country jim carrey maybe i've seen him described as sort of rubber-faced um and he's like a garrulous southern pest and he's always talking to someone named Vern who's off screen and stands in for the viewer and he had that catchphrase after he said everything he'd have this whole monologue where he's just wearing on Vern's nerves to make a point about the product or whatever he's talking about and he'd say know what I mean Vern uh, and so you're supposed to be annoyed as Vern but he's still really funny and, and fun to watch and he's got a denim vest and a cap he- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes he does so like I said he started off as uh, a character created- so he was a commercial guy he got like a TV show at one point yes because it came on in this power hour block of like that show called hey Vern, it's Ernest. yeah I think. yeah 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 that's that, that's right so he started like a kid's show as a character created by a nashville ad agency and you could hire Vern for your product and they had the rights worked out where you could do that it was really weird and he was really good at it and he got really popular eventually he did a commercial for coke and then he transitioned to tv for a saturday morning kids show I remember watching that show. I remember watching it because it came on next to Pee Wee's Playhouse. That would make sense. It was a little more juvenile than Pee Wee's Playhouse, I think, but it was still really funny. I still remember the baby sketch where uh, Ernest's head was on like a baby body. It was pretty creepy. <laughs> um, I remember it fondly. I don't remember it well, though. Oh, hi, Vern. I was just practicing for The Price is Right with Tom Kennedy weeknights on WDBJ7, your hometown station. Ming Vase. Uh, steal it two grand. World War Two hand grenade, fifteen dollars. Probably a dud, three fifty. Then he got more popular, and they started making v- movie vehicles for him, kind of like Adam Sandler or something in the in the eighties. And uh, in ninety one, I saw his Halloween movie in the theater. Ernest Scared Stupid. It was pretty scary. Uh, some of the people said it was too scary, and that's why it didn't do well. Did you remember this? No, I never saw this. I don't know. I never saw his films. Okay, I, I will tell you. I'll tell you the premise of this, so we can talk about it. There is a demonic troll named Trantor who transforms children into wooden dolls to feast upon their energy in Briarville, Missouri, in the late nineteenth century. It sounds pretty scary. Already pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, an ancestor of Ernest, I think his name was Phineas P. Worrell, seals seals the troll into a tree. But the troll leaves a curse that every descendant of the world family will get stupider until a really stupid descendant will release him. Which <laughs> is a good premise. That sounds like a good screenplay. Okay, I'm I watched some clips. Laughing. It was pretty funny. Okay. Okay, flash forward to 1991. Hey, when, can we watch this tonight? I it's, think so. It's Halloween. Okay. When Ernest is helping some middle school kids build a fort. And he's telling them the story. But in telling them the story, he releases the troll. 
and the troll systematically catches kids around the uh, neighborhood and turns them into dolls. And none of the grown-ups believe this is happening except Ernest. And he gets a witch played by Eartha Kitt to, oh my God. to help him beat the trolls. What? That's oh, amazing. Okay, it was very scary. The troll design is horrible. And also the troll can imitate kid voices like the Blair Witch to Ooh, lure them off their skateboards and stuff. That's great. Trantor's head is twice the size of his body. He's slimy. And you, you just don't want to think of him being out there when you're a kid and taking out the garbage. <laughs> but it's also funny because Ernest, you know, he's driving around in the woods in his old pickup truck with his little dog in the passenger seat. And he's running into trolls with his uh, truck and being like, watch out, booger face, and stuff like that. <laughs> and at the end, he has to beat the curse by kissing the troll. Um, that's pretty good. Well, I don't even know why you're spoiling this for me because I'm clearly going to go watch it right um, I saw this when I was eight, but it was scary enough that I remembered it fondly, which is the perfect balance, I think. Uh, and I don't have a ton more to say about this, even though I could talk forever about it, but I'll, I'll leave you with some trivia about the movie. Okay. It was shot in Nashville, which is pretty cool. Okay. You don't often do that. Uh, the pizzas that were thrown at the bullies are from the pizzas in... Uh, Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, which is funny. That was just in the 90s. You need some pizza. You go to the Ninja Turtles set. Um, people said it didn't do well because of the stealing children's soul part of it um, was too scary. But if you're some idiot going to go take your kids to see a movie, you don't even know about. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think word of mouth traveled that fast. I guess not. That sounds like a retroactive explanation. I don't know. I think they just didn't market it enough. Uh, and finally, speaking of it being too scary, possibly, or Rebecca's skeptical, I am. Um, there were headstones seen in the film's poster, but there's no cemetery in the film itself. And people have speculated that the antagonist, Trantor, was originally supposed to dig up dead children to feed his army, and Ernest was a caretaker for the cemetery, which is pretty cool. But um, I, I Yeah, what? Kids can't know about cemeteries? Come on. <laughs> or trolls. Or grave diggers. <laughs> That's right. So sure, it's the monster truck. It's fine, but we talk about <laughs> one dude digging graves for a living. Suddenly, it's too much. I do for like kids. I do like cemetery caretaker uh, caretaker stuff. Me too. Number seven. All right. Well, my my next one, number seven, is also a troll pick because I choose troll dolls <laughs> from the troll doll craze. Speaking of being able to have a whole show, you. Definitely could have a whole show about troll dolls. Yes. Which is a very interesting fan base. Now, I, yes. But I'm specifically talking about the troll craze of the early 90s, because mm -hmm. that's when I caught on. When you wish on a treasure troll, who knows what might happen? Treasure trolls are the only trolls that have a jewel in their tummy that you can wish on. What would you wish for? I wish training wheels were better trainers. Treasure trolls with a jewel you can wish on from Ace. Trolls, the dolls, were invented by a Danish dude named Thomas Dam in 1959. Oh, so that's legit. This is Danish. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got really popular and a bunch of people started copying his design. And he was like stuck in copyright disputes for like wow. tons of time. And sometimes he won them and sometimes he lost them. And sometimes he got some money from it and then sometimes he didn't. That's interesting. I didn't know because I remember seeing like, like tiny ones and like the penny candy store in town and stuff like that. Yeah. They, in practice, it pretty much just became a thing that anybody could do. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that you mentioned that the tiny ones that you found in, in the store 
Once the troll craze took off, that train was just barreling down on everyone. It was like Ninja Turtles for girls. They were. It was. And there were tons of them, and they were everywhere. And I was a young victim of the charms of the troll doll. (laughs) Okay. Now, here in the United States, here were your major players, okay? There were Rust Trolls. Those were the the top-of-the-line ones. And if you've seen troll dolls from the early 90s that, like, had little costumes or whatever, those would have been your Rust Trolls. I can remember, like, a a shiny uh, dancer jacket I think my sister had. Yes, exactly. That would have been a Rust Troll, all right? There's no finer troll than a Rust (laughs) Troll, even though I typically didn't buy the ones that had costumes because I felt that that was tacky and that wasn't part of their identity. All right. Now, then we also had Norfin Trolls. To me, which was a solid second place. Those were the treasure trolls, which actually were the oh. original trolls, but I think they still got surpassed. Those are the ones with a little jewel in their belly. Okay, that's the one I remember. I yes. think that's, I, okay. Okay. And then there's the very sad one, the Wishnik trolls, which were like the shameful cousins of the true cute trolls. Those are the ones your teacher would give out. Yeah, like those are the ones you find at the outlet discount stores. Yeah. And like plastic was a little hard and the hair was a little worse. But they were fun to get in like one of those little toy machines or something. Possibly, maybe. But it was the same thing with the, it was the Barbie doll problem. Oh, in my world, so like, okay, I played trolls with my friend Jackie after school uh-huh. in fourth grade, like every day. No we relation would, to Debbie. No relation to, no, no, no relation to Debbie. Every day we would play troll dolls. And like in our troll world, you know, there, there are little, we make a little society and they've got little rules. And like the cruddy little trolls don't play with the nice trolls. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's a sad fact of life, but they couldn't. But here's some of our troll rules. All right. The male trolls combed their hair straight up. But if you were a girl troll, you would comb your hair in a soft wave to the left. Okay? That's how we could tell. We named all of our trolls. They had little families. And we would buy those little miniature rust trolls, which were super cheap, to be the little kids. I was going to ask about that. And the kids, of course, would have... I mean, we vaguely knew about Punnett squares, so they would either have the hair color of the mom, (laughs) of the dad, or just like here's a wild card in there because it's like, well, we want a pink-haired kid, a blue-haired kid, and a purple-haired kid. And then here's a yellow-haired kid just wow. in there. You hear fun. people talking about making lesson plans for their kids with Minecraft. That would be so great to make your kids learn about uh, Punnett squares to decide paternity for troll dolls. Yes, you should do that. Oh, Everyone that's so do interesting. that. So, but but yeah, I don't. How even, do you know if they're male or female? We just decided by the hair color, probably so a little bit of that. You know, like we did have some males who would have more of the primary color hair, and the women would have the like pastels, but that wasn't a hard and fast okay, rule. Okay, you just decided. Yeah. Okay. Says, yeah, you just kind of felt, you just kind of feel who your troll dog is. I remember is. lots of the ones you put on pencils. I remember yeah, lots I of kn- kids had those. Lots of kids did have those, but I wasn't I wasn't into that. Okay. You know, I was like into the troll kingdom and not yeah. like the troll accessories. I see. So, these were yeah. real these are real creatures that had their society. Yeah, they did. With a no clothes policy because it's troll it's troll law. It's troll law. Yeah, you can just yeah, if you can go naked if you're a troll. <laughs> okay. I don't know why, but we yeah, we neither one of us really were into our trolls costumes. Like if we had one that uh-huh. had come with a costume, we were like, eh. Yeah, I love that. That was a big deal. Yeah. Well, like we didn't need them to tell us who our troll was. Maybe he's not a wizard, okay? <laughs> Maybe he just works at the factory. Don't work like don't box him in, you know? But Troll dolls. <laughs> Number six. Okay, it is time to pay homage to a motion capture goblin from a legendary PC role-playing game. 
Yay. This is Wahooka the Great from the legendary 1995 PC game called Stonekeep. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Greetings. I am the king of all goblins and fairies. You shall pay homage to me. I'm listening. Stonekeep was a really special game to me because it occupies the same space in my brain that a really good book does. And I think... Role-playing games or RPGs in particular can do this because they work the same way. It's a very solitary, very personal experience. It's often very slow and deliberate. And so it makes sense that it would fire the same kind of neurons in your brain, yeah. I think. But it, but I really do think about this game like a really good book. I mean, so much so that when you're not playing it, you're thinking about where you are and what happens next. I mean, it was that, it was that exciting. And... You know, it's hard to find games like that now for me um, because I feel like all these... uh, I was talking to somebody about this online recently about how a lot of the AAA game releases... This just doesn't happen just because they don't build them the same way. Yeah, that's not a priority and we for had developers. A, I was trying to think of the last time we had a game that was like this. I would say for me it was Mass Effect 2. What do you think? The last time you got that really good like art feeling from a game that made you feel like you were in a really great fantasy story. It was probably Elder Scrolls Morrowind and it really? didn't okay. translate to Oblivion as much as I loved that game. Uh-huh. That still always felt like a game. It didn't feel like a book. I think Morrowind felt like a book. What about Fable? Mm, no, because it was just jokey and a little surfacey. Like I loved the world. It was arm's length in that, in that British fantasy way, almost yeah. like a really good Neil Gaiman book. Yeah, like, it's sort of winky, so you can't really get close to it. Is that the thing about him? Can I we think just so. talk very briefly about how I'm not I'm not really a Neil Gaiman fan? Like I think he's I recognize that he's a talented writer, but yeah. it's just it's just never resonated with me. Yeah, for me it's arm's length. It's like they're scared to he's like he's scared to get sincere with the characters. It's like, well, this is mythology. Like I'll I'll have a take on this for our um, amusement, but I won't get into their head, you know. Which is why I like some low fantasy books more, like a Dungeons and Dragons well, novel. Because it's very more. earnest, you yeah. know? There's a lot of vulnerability there. Exactly. But no, I, I get what you're saying about the, the games and, and how they don't feel like a book. I think it's because, and, and this is the one reason I like Stonekeep, because modern games, I think, are spread out too thin. We want this complete open world sandbox experience, but we don't think a lot about the narrative and the character's perspective. It's like all on you to make your story, but I want to see carefully considered pre-rendered drama. Even if I get to make choices, I want to feel like this world is very uh, rich and there's a struggle and conflict built into it. You know what? I think I'll also say I did get a a lot of those good book feelings from the Fallout franchise, like even Fallout 3. Definitely. And and not from like the main story so much, but from like where you would explore a vault and by reading the terminals, you could determine what had happened there. Yeah. And they would sort of piece everything together like a satisfying little story, only giving you tidbits and and finding out what happened here. Um, 
That I think that counts. But but anyway. Yes. I, I take it. But anyway, I take your point. Like yes. Okay. So Stonekeep was a first person dungeon crawler, and it looked amazing for the time. Like I said, they had motion capture monsters, which added an element of like realness and creepiness to it when you're going down these corridors. The premise was that there are all these gods based on planets and the big bad guy, Cole Coombe, captures them, puts them all in orbs. There's this thing called the Devastation that ruins the Castle Stonekeep, which was your childhood home. The god Thera escapes. She zoops you into the castle to go uh, set things right in the world. And it was pretty scary and dramatic because in 1995, there are not guides on a whole big internet about what to expect. This was a very personal thing for you to explore. You got your game in the box. You installed it on your DOS prompt on your computer and you figured it out. And it was a thing that you went through. And I'll get to Wahooka here. Maybe the main thing I remember is Wahooka because I remember the first time encountering him. You're walking down a corridor. There's nothing happening for a while. Then there's the swirl of magic and this horrible looking motion captured goblin appears and he demands that you pay homage to him. He looks like Ernie from Sesame Street if he were green and had tusks. And he's got, he's wearing a cloak and a tunic. And like I said, all these monsters are green screens. So he was especially like odd looking. And so he's the king of goblins and fairies. And if you give him trinkets, he'll tell you more of the story about what's going on. And he'll help you move the story forward. So you like will find little things and you can give them to him when he shows up throughout the game. Greetings. I am the great Wahooka. Or if you prefer, Wahooka the Great. Uh, hello, Wahooka. Uh, I've never seen anything like you before. What are you? Fool. I am Wahooka the Great. Watch and learn. I personally remember a lot about him because I was borderline traumatized by something that had to do with him in the game. I got far enough into it, and I was so into it, uh, that eventually my crappy Aptiva computer started having memory problems. And halfway through the game, he was supposed to appear and did not. And I was so confused and didn't know what to do. And like my parents who bought this game for me, you know, they thought like a computer is at that time was like a set it and forget it. They didn't understand there was like investments on a computer. And so they thought it was like a faulty game. And then I remembered, I got so frustrated. I started the game over and when he appeared, I was like, I wonder what happens if I attack him? And my mom saw me doing it and got mad at me because she thought I was ruining the game she bought for me (laughs) because I attacked um, a good man in the game. And it was just very funny to see like somebody's mom, the way they think about you playing a game like that. It was so funny. (laughs) It was like a really expensive game at the time, I guess. So I guess that's why she thought about it. Bah, you know nothing, but I can teach you. Uh, Flash forward to now, when I was researching this game, I found a very old message board from 1995 where somebody had the same problem. Oh my God. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I'll read you. He said, now this Wahooka refuses to show himself. I've got a number of items to give him, but all I hear is a voice asking if I got something to give him. And that's it. No Wahooka. Aww. (laughs) I hope he eventually found him, but he probably didn't. A lot of people gave him advice, and this is a very 90s term for PC use. They said, you need to restore to uh, an earlier part in the game, which I thought was funny. So Wahooka, to me, is like a perfect goblin because he's tricky, even in a way that he doesn't intend. (laughs) He really did. He really did bedevil your life. He did. Number five. 
At number five, I give you the Hopkinsville Goblins. Now, this is a real-life story of how a family of Kentuckians had their home threatened by goblin attacks. And for once, I'm not talking about Mitch McConnell's War on the Poor. Hello! Hello! Man. On the evening of August 21st, 1955, five adults and seven children, this is me reading from Wikipedia, by the way, Uh arrived at the Hopkinsville police station claiming that small alien creatures from a spaceship, so you also get some aliens in here, Will. Why from a spaceship? That adds a dimension to the story that is... Completely unnecessary. Yeah. Were, were attacking their farmhouse, and they had been holding them off with gunfire, quote, for nearly four hours. Oh, my God. Two of the adults, Elmer Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, claimed of course. they had been shooting at 12 to 15 short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway oh or peered God. in the windows. Oh, my God. All right. So here's people in a rural area where, like, stuff happens. And, you know, you you might see some creatures that you might mistake for goblins because there are lots of creatures in the wilderness. Okay, I'm going to try to think of what this is, okay? Right. Well, what happened was the newspaper caught wind of it. They wrote a little story about it. And then it just became this huge phenomenon. Everybody oh, because there's start, a police report. Yeah, and everybody just wanted to start talking about it. Funny enough, it got tons of press coverage, and I guess that was because there wasn't anything good on TV yet because it was the 1950s. Uh-huh. Um, and um, his description said it had large pointed ears, claw-like hands, eyes that glowed yellow, and spindly legs. And so they put that in a bunch of newspaper stories, and then everyone just had such a fun time with the story that it just eventually blew up into the phrase, Little Green Men. They never oh. said there were little green men, but this is where that phrase comes from. I didn't from. know that. If you are having a UFO sighting and you're sighting C-I-T-I-N-G, if you're having an S-I-G-H-T-I-N-G and you are C-I-T-I-N-G, the appearance of little green men, that's where this comes from. The two men saw something emerge from the woods. Coming toward them was a glowing three-foot-tall silver beam. Its arms were raised over its head, and it was floating. Unnerved and frightened for their families, the two men ran indoors. At first, their families wouldn't believe them. It's pretty obvious these are raccoons, right? According or to... possums. They, according to people who have since looked at the area, they said this is almost certainly the work of great horned elves. Oh. Because they're like, because of the height of them, and then also they're very aggressive and territorial, and their eyes do glow yellow in the moonlight. Okay. But it, but it became a huge thing, so. And then also yeah. apparently there were reports that they might have been drinking. <laughs> while right. This, while, while, while this happened. The owls, too. Now, I don't know how we explain the uh, uh, UFO part they they, extra- they, they uh, con- extrapolated. Well, and they claim they saw a flash in the sky too. Is the thing which oh. is kind of kind of funny. But then people were like, "Oh, well, there were meteor showers in the area." So that's the boring explanation. But the real explanation is goblins. Oh. And the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter would go on to inspire the 1986 film Critters. Oh, which we should watch. I did not know that. You know, one time my parents called the sheriff at 4 a.m. because there was a raccoon in our attic and the sheriff came to our house, chased the raccoon out of the attic into some trees in our front yard and at 4 a.m. fired his pistol into the trees in the neighborhood trying to shoot the raccoon. What? Once he was in the tree, just let him go. He could have um, 
gotten into another attic. I think they were thinking rabies. I mean, this is ins- an insane thing to do. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying I think that was the excuse. I'm d- I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> we just, we just had to move on from that, from the Mayberry insanity of your childhood. Number four. Get up, Setheris snarled. Hurry. Obediently, Maya crawled out of bed, clumsy and sleep-sodden. What's toward? A messenger from the court. That's what's toward. So goblins are very much tied to books for me, is, is what I'm, I'm figuring out. I think, I think of them as like a, a fantasy book type thing. So I could have picked a ton of different ones from any of the books uh, I was reading. But this goblin is from one of the best books I have read in the last few years. This is a goblin, a half goblin named Maya from The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. I borrowed this from the library. Okay. You remember when we used to go to the library? I remember books and the before times. We, I think they're still open, but you have to do curbside. Yeah. Now. I, uh, we used to enjoy going. We have different opinions about the different branches that we go to. There's one of them where they talk too much and drives me crazy. Remember which you one mean that just is? the patrons, just generally? Yeah, they were just real noisy. It was really annoying. Libraries are louder than they used to be. Yeah. Because now they are like a community hub. Like, you know, like seriously, yeah. and people have to go and use like computers and stuff at the library. Right. And they're not the quiet, hushed halls of our of our childhood anymore. Right. And there's the other one where... Every time I go in, I get accosted for cigarettes or to sign a petition when I try to go in. There's that one. Right. Well, uh, if the petition is for more cigarettes, then <laughs> right. you know what to do. I feel like a lot of libraries have their own personality, and a lot of that had to do with, it used to have to do with the librarian who set the tone. It's like that librarian's library. Do you remember your, do you remember your school librarian's name? I remember one of them. Yes. I remember her for bad reasons. <laughs> And I don't want to say what they are. And okay, you don't know which school. Th- okay, guys, I went to like three different elementary schools when I was a kid, okay? So you don't know who this was. I remember the librarian because she clearly had dentures and she had green in between the teeth. Wow. I remember that. Is that from just not cleaning it? Probably not okay. cleaning them correctly. Oh, well, that sets a tone. It does, doesn't <laughs> it? I don't have good memories of that library, and I think that might be why. I remember ours too and she was very witchy and i, I remember i, I think feel like she annoyed the other adults uh and she it's funny you could pick up on that as a kid you know which adults are also annoying at other adults yeah well she also i was kind of annoyed with and i kind of understand where she was coming from but also don't have a book in the library if you don't want me to get it but i remember in elementary school i tried to check out moby dick because they had it i had heard about it i had heard it was good and <laughs> I, I wanted right. to read it and then she wouldn't let me check it out. She was like, you can't read that. And I was like, I want to try. And then she was like, read this first thing. And I'm like, I am Steven. And she's like, you can't check it out. That's <laughs> it was a worst. terrible message. That's the, so she is she the goblin in your story? Because she sounds like it. She should be. And a troll who's trying to keep you from <laughs> the learning. That's horrible. It is. I have lots of fond memories of like the city library, but mm-hmm. no, not the school library. So she sounds like a real stinker. <laughs> she was. So this is a book, uh, the the Goblin Emperor. This is a book that I borrowed that I wish I would have bought. Um, you know, you can buy it now. I, I guess I could. Okay. Um. So 
that, again, this is from Wikipedia. I don't know why people are worried about our sourcing of this, but I feel like I have to say it. This tells the story of Maya, a young man of mixed elven and goblin heritage who unexpectedly becomes emperor of the elf lands and has to contend with the court's Byzantine power structure as well as racial and social tension in the realm. I thought this was really cool because even though I love a good generic goblin because it puts you firmly in that world, we don't get a close earnest characterization of a goblin very often. Okay. And the goblins here are really fun. They mix a lot of different time periods and genres, but I think to good effect, the goblins here are kind of like medieval dwarves. So you get that kind of like Elder Scrolls, Dweamer engineer kind of feeling from them. You can see that from the book art. Uh, but their world is a little Victorian with airships and stuff. Okay. But then they also have this really charming Shakespearean dialogue that I was surprised by. I still remember the striking beginning of the mem- of the book where the main elf's uh, borderline abusive cousin who o- oversees him is trying to wake him up out of bed because there's been an emergency. And he says, get thy shirt on. Hast thou wool between the ears? And things like that. And <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I really like it. So I think what uh, this author was doing here is it was kind of like Lord of the Rings. You were just talking about this earlier. The same way Lord of the Rings took fairy tales and treated them seriously. And you know, she's taking a stock character and making him very real. And Maya himself, he is likable, but he's very earnest in the way a lot of fantasy protagonists are. Um, But he's pretty fun because he does controversial things as the emperor because he doesn't care about the existing alliances and stuff. And mostly he's just a good stand-in for all the goblins in this book for me. Okay. So it's a very good book. And I I don't often do this, but I remember I read this one all in one day. It was that good. Um, And even though I love a good low fantasy Dungeons and Dragons book, this is a legit literary novel. It's excellent. And I I feel like if you like fantasy books at all, this is well worth borrowing from your local library. Number three. From high literature to garbage. At number three, I give you Antonio the Troll, played by Frank Reynolds, played by Danny DeVito. (laughs) It's always sunny and, well... It, the Night Man Cometh from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's a very memorable, good episode. Okay, it is. It. I mean, I, th- I feel like since the show's been on for so long, all of us, even if you haven't watched the whole series, has at least watched It's Always Sunny at some point since the Audis when it started. And I do think that if the, if the series had one moment that stands out above all, it would be this episode wherein Charlie Kelly stages a rock opera called The Night Man Cometh in order to impress the waitress. That was always uh-huh. the that was always his shtick. He always wanted to impress the cute waitress that he had that he was obsessed with and stalking. And uh, everyone else in the gang quickly insinuates themselves into the story and they all have a lot of terrible opinions about what they want to do. Uh-huh. And then of course, uh, the role of the troll is played with a plum by Frank Reynolds. Danny DeVito, who is a treasure. Danny DeVito is a national treasure. If you've not ever watched the show, I would say it's a clever comedy made by nice people about bad people. Yeah. And it's very, very risque is not the right word, but it's very boundary pushing, but from a comedy nerd perspective, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Sometimes people like to push boundaries in comedy because they think that they're like edgelords and they're being cool. Mm -hmm. They're like, look at me. I say what I want. But if you're actually coming from a uh, 
an intelligent place about it, then you understand the function of comedy is to question social mores and speak truth to power in some weird way while also being shocking. Mm -hmm. Oh, I get it. I, I still would say that the show has had its offensive moments, but of course that's also the point of comedy. Yeah, it's very clear they're not good people and that they know what they're saying. Yes, and, and that's also the thing. Like, You can have a character who is a bad person and we can all even laugh at it. That's a completely socially acceptable thing. <laughs> when you see a character in a film or on television, it doesn't mean that you should want to emulate them. And I feel like, <laughs> I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, by about season eight, they start developing their characters where they start actually asking themselves if they're bad people and that sort of things. So they definitely know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the running gag with this play within a show is that, um, it was supposed to be a tender coming of age story written about his own personal experiences by Charlie. But because of s several badly phrased characters and moments, it really just seems like it's about Charlie. <laughs> horrible acts of child abuse. So it's again, played for laughs. And I think anyone who like, if you even watch that show for one minute, everybody knows you got to pay the trolls toll. You got to pay the troll toll to get in to the boy's soul. Everybody knows this moment. Laughing at me. You got to pay the troll toll. If you want to get into that boy's hole, you got to pay the troll toll to get in. You want the baby boy's hole. You got to pay the troll toe. You gotta pay the troll toe to get in. Troll toe. What you say? Troll toe. There's really not anything yes. else to say about it. I just I just feel like if I didn't do troll toll, if somebody's like, you're doing a whole episode about trolls and you're not gonna talk about paying the troll toll, like yes. I mean, if, I mean, if okay. you're a comedy nerd, it's not terrible to dissect a joke, but I, I keep thinking about why Danny DeVito is so funny about that. And I think it's because He's just so cavalier when he's getting up there. Like he's not getting up there and like giggling. Like he knows what he's doing is funny. He's just like full out doing that. Like it's a totally legit, uh, fully committed, not crazy thing to be doing, but it is an insane thing that he is doing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, he plays the, Oh my God. He, he's brilliant. Has he ever won an Emmy for Frank I Reynolds? Know. I don't think he's he has. So good. He should have though, if he hadn't, but yeah, I, there's nothing more to say. Troll toll. Number two. Okay, I'm excited about this next one. My next pick is Tina from a 2018 Swedish film called Border. And I really want to tell people about this movie. You heard me talking about this I did before. hear you talking about this movie. I saw this movie on when you were watching it, and it looked great. It did. Like, the character design yeah. looked fantastic. Okay, so I had no idea what this was or what I was getting into. I randomly picked this movie on Hulu, which I almost never do, because it looked like some desaturated foreign detective show, which is exactly the kind of garbage that I love. But it turned out to be something totally different. At first, it looked like what I thought, so they must have known what they were doing. Tina is working for the Swedish Customs Service, and she's working security checkpoints, and she can smell shame and guilt, and so she finds a lot of contraband and stuff, and she finds, at one point, this memory card with messed up stuff on it, and the chief is like, I want you to work a really creepy case. And so, so far, so good, but Tina's pretty interesting, and there's some questions you have about her. First of all, she looks different than other people. She's kind of looks like um, uh, an actual historical Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. And at home, she lives with this dude named Roland who trains bad dogs that hate her. 
and their house is really depressing. And then one day, uh, she learns something about herself or starting to, to, to investigate more about where she comes from because there's a man who comes through security who looks a lot like her and smells interesting. And they meet up later and they eat some maggots together. And without giving anything away, he tells her about a, a lot of other people like them who he's in contact with in Finland. But this dude is also up to some weird bad stuff and she has to find out who she is in every way possible. I was shocked several times during this movie in, in a way that I don't usually get shocked. I did not see like seven things coming. I was like, wow, this is happening now. And I loved all the weird lore stuff that they treated as serious as a heart attack. Um, there's like baby stealing and some creatures and boy, it was a good movie. Um, and I didn't realize this till I was preparing for this, that this was co-written by the same guy who wrote Let the Right One In. Oh. Um, so he's just a great Swedish weirdo out there. Exactly. And I mean that in the best way possible. This is uh, Jean Ajvid Linkvist. He wrote the first draft of this, and then he knew he needed some help. I think he's new to screenwriting, but great at writing stories. Um, and <laughs> I looked up a little more about him. He was born and raised in Stockholm, uh, in a suburb of Blackburg. I don't know who that is. As a teenager, he used to perform street magic for tourists. Uh, and then become, before becoming a published writer, he worked 12 years as a stand-up comedian and also worked part-time as a magician. So okay. that's good crazy stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie was nominated for an Oscar for Best Hair and Makeup. And it can. It won the Uncertain Regard Award. I don't know why I had to be obnoxious because I can't do the accent. Um, but it's for an outstanding film with a particular style or angle, which... I think it definitely deserved. Um, so, you know, we talk about making legit modern contributions to myth or lore like vampires. Absolutely. This is a great modern, I'll tell you, it's a troll story. And it's a really good one. I just feel like this episode is full of things for people to like watch and, and, and I read. I was, I was, I was really uh, into this. Well, before we name our top troll or goblin, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. I didn't actually have too many here. There were a few that immediately popped in my mind. Uh, the boogeyman from Ghostbusters, I think, counts as a goblin. Yes, the boogeyman is related to sort of like the hobgoblin, which was like a bigger demonic goblin kind of a deal. I think so. so. Yes, boogeyman is definitely from that same kind of. He looks like mold. that with the pointy teeth and the pointy ears, and and. He, he, just, he looks a lot like a goblin. I want to talk about him in full in a different episode, but I, I, I think he counts as a goblin. I would also say the uh, trolls from David the Gnome that I mentioned earlier. Yes. They were pretty scary. They stole babies and stuff. And then also I love the uh, goblin engineers from the uh, early World of Warcraft strategy games. That I think, they, I think they were actually sappers, and they would undermine fortifications and stuff, and they were really funny. I loved all those little characters. When you click on them, they'd be like, work, 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 done. Oh, they were real fun. That's cute. I, I love some good goblin rabble <laughs> in video games. Like, yeah, like Elder Scrolls is great about that. When they're like, bah, blah, blah, blah. exactly. I, just, I love, I love goblin rabble. It just, it's, it's a beautiful sound. We've got explosives. Kaboom. So to that, I would also add goblin totems in Elder Scrolls Oblivion. That was my f most fun goblin gameplay because in Oblivion, they had the AI rigged up to where if you went to a cave that had goblins in it, 
you could take their totem stick and you could take it to another cave and then the goblins in the first cave would go attack the goblins in the second cave. Oh, cool. And you could do that. You could watch it happen in real time. It was very fun. And I do, again, I love video game goblins. Yeah. To that, I would also add the goblins in Troll 2 because there was no troll in Troll 2, which is something we all need to say because everyone needs, it's like, you got to mention Troll 2. Uh-huh. There you go. And then also, I give you, I almost made him a pick, King Ago of Spikeheart from the She-Ra, original She-Ra. Oh, yeah. Remember how we liked him? Yeah. He was cool, but, you know. He was noble. He was noble. He was a noble troll. And then finally. Uh, he was like a lion. I have to mention the Goblin King from Labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't ever a Labyrinth girl. Do you know like some girls yeah. were really into the Princess Bride and Labyrinth, both of those movies? I, that wasn't ever me, but I respect it, right? Okay. I, I was almost going to pick the Goblin Queen um, from X-Men who had like the really trashy uh, babe outfit from the 90s. Uh, but it was just like trashy and dumb, but it was really funny. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, she got mentioned. That's an yes. honorable mention. There you I go. Think. There you go, Madeline Pryor. <laughs> Who's your number one troll or goblin of all time? Number one. This is not cheating because I picked a human who was the original goblin singer, none other than Ronnie James Dio. Oh. The number one goblin of all time, despite being a human. Hear me out. I do think that if you talk to a metalhead and you mention somebody being a goblin singer, they'll know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I can think of a couple of others now that you mention it. It's all in sort of the bearing. And also in the subject matter, too, of, of, of some of the songs that yeah. you would sing, right? So a goblin singer, if, if I had to describe them, I would describe it as someone who is, um, well, I'll just describe, this is how Ronnie James Dio was as a performer. Someone who is wiry and agile who sort of cavorts a little bit Uh and gesticulates a whole lot, who's very expressive, not only with his voice, but with his whole body, and who has sort of fantastical elements in his costuming and in his stage show. Mm -hmm. So to that degree, I think you could say that Ronnie James Dio was like the ultimate ultimate goblin singer. I can picture him being kind of like um, stooped over and gesticulating with a hand outstretched, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. And then also for those of you who and he has a very like, hi- like a heightened dramatic way of singing. Yeah. And he, d- he is one of my favorite vocalists of all time. I would, you know, just oh, yeah. in terms of just singing, he has this very textured, but soaring high tenor, incredibly expressive. And when you listen to, especially the songs that he did with his own act, Dio, yeah. um, the songs were way more bubblegum than you might think, mm-hmm. especially because Ronnie James Dio is known for popula- for popularizing the devil horns, you know, yeah. that everybody does for heavy metal. That was his whole thing, but it sort of came out of this, like, fantasy background, exactly, yeah. you know. And, you know, then also, like, if you, you aren't too familiar with this history before then, he was in a band called Rainbow with Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple. Oh, that's right. And then he replaced Ozzy in yeah. Black Sabbath for three hours. <laughs> There's no sun, the shadow of the wizard. See how he glides, why he's lighter than air. Um, he passed in 2010. 
And this is just big goblin energy at its finest. It really is. You know, high fantasy drama and spectacle. Because the way that I feel about this world is if you're going to give me something, if you're going to give me a performance, make it big. Mm-hmm. I want to see you out on that stage with a dragon that you constructed specifically to fight in the middle of your set. Yes. I want to see something grand. Okay. By contrast, do you remember, I won't mention names because it's not nice. Remember we went to a certain show and one of the opening acts came out there and he had like a glass of wine on a stool while he assembled like parts of a clarinet and made like garbage noise in it and wasted my time. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I can say the artist's name. You know what? I'm not going to say who that was, but I'll say, just to give you the idea, they were opening for Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Uh-huh. So that that's just kind of the zhuzh of that <laughs> right. whole scene there. We were all, yes, there was a lot of precious folks there. It was very funny. There were, and I felt that standing on that concrete floor for that period of time was not worth that's it. That's right. Like, yeah, we need to get to the get to the thing. Play, get to the play thing. Play my 28 Days Later song. Get to the thing. But I mean, uh, there's just nothing more to say. Like, I, I think he was just a, a fantastic performer. Yeah. And I just have such a soft spot in my heart for him forever. Fanta- yeah, he's fa- fantastic. That's perfect. Well, I still feel like, for me, I really did gravitate to the uh, goblins and trolls who make me feel like I'm really immersed in the fantasy world. Like I said, I like ones that make me feel like, oh, these creatures are really just part of the fauna of the world. And and, <laughs> and I, I like musical goblins and, and toys. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, it's the, but, it, but it is a really, these creatures are a really good balance of magic that is bent just a little to seem real. And it really helps you feel like you're immersed in a fantasy world. Yeah. Which I think is part of the tone we want to carry through the year uh, when it's not made easy for us, like in Halloween. That's really beautiful, and I really am going to take that to heart. <laughs> for real. Have a have a troll and goblin year. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. I'm going to do that. I'm going to carry the spirit of trolls with me. I'm, I intend to do that. That's all I'm going to say. The end. If you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Will, where can people follow us? You can talk to us on Twitter or Instagram or visit our website. And you can find out about this show or other shows like Curdle Holler. We just released our Halloween episode. Go listen to it. Look, we just talked about carrying Halloween through the year. I still feel like this show is a good listen no matter what time. It's true. And all of it's in continuity. Uh, So, you know, one story carries into the next. But the most recent one we did, we did write so you could jump on now if you want to. And it sets you up for uh, season three when we do write that. When that Uh, happens. So I I think you will enjoy that. Uh, That's obviously our original Halloween comedy series. Um, we also have a complete <laughs> Master of the, of the Universe review show if you want to listen to that. If you want to learn about how we loved about like King Ago of Spike Heart, listen right. to our She-Ra episode. That's right. Um, or you can uh, uh, geek out with Rebecca about audio production. Sometime. On, <laughs> on her weekly stream. I've been busy. At twitch.tv slash Keen Garrity. And we'll have more to talk about. But uh, Rebecca got some test pressings back for her album. And uh, they're sounding pretty cool. That's so good. That's so good. All right. Enough. Okay. Enough, enough about that. I need to go grow some more toenails, so I'll be back. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. Uh.
Feel humble and 